Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, December the 18th, 2021. It is currently 9.22 a.m. Central Time, and you know where I'm coming to you live from. Yes, once again, I'm sitting here in the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in Ovalo, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a lot to do, so we're not going to waste a lot of time. Obviously, this is the Bible study exercise, and if you've been with us this week, you know we've been working on Isaiah chapter 9. Yesterday, we took kind of an interesting detour. We took some time out to listen to a Greek Orthodox speak on the subject of Isaiah 9. If we found some interesting things, especially them relying on the Septuagint and how it translates uh, a certain phrase there. We talked a lot about that. What was somewhat frustrating in listening to the Greek Orthodox podcast on Isaiah 9 is they completely, well, I, I will say ignored, but well, yeah, I think I can say that they ignored, or, or should we say it this way? They completely failed to even address any historical context, textual context, historical background. I mean, they didn't, they didn't even address any of it. You could argue, well, that really wasn't their purpose. But if you're going to talk about anything in Isaiah 9, don't you have to talk about the context really starting in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 8 and then Isaiah 9? And then wait, and then what happens as you, as you get a little further into Isaiah 9? Does it, jump back in time? What, like, what, what's going on? There's, there's a lot of questions that you should be asking. But what I see this time of year um, is that when people go to Isaiah 7 or they go to Isaiah 9, they just look for a verse, you know, two or three verses. See, that that's about Jesus. And then just focus on that. They may, they may mention a few things about the historical context. They may offer a few thoughts so that it appears that they're not ignoring it. But in many cases, they're not really dealing with all of the issues that are right there in the text. They're not walking through it, asking questions. And to me, not only is that disappointing, not only is that frustrating, I, I, I'm going to, how can I say this and, and, and be blunt? I just think it, it's hurtful and harmful to, to the people who attend those kinds of churches. Because if you're sitting there and they're going to preach from anything in Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 9, Yes, it's great that they're going to talk about Jesus, but you are going to leave with still no actual understanding of the chapters. I, I guarantee you there are people who've gone to church 10 years, 15 years, and you open up Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8, Isaiah 9, and say, okay, you've been going to church for 15 years. You've probably heard countless sermons from Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9. You've at least heard them quoted. And they'd be like, yeah, of course, Isaiah 7, yes. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. We'll call his name Emmanuel. Yes, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Okay, yes, I know these verses. Okay, great. Can you explain to me what's going on? Can you explain the who, the what, the where, the when? Well, no, not really. You wait, you've gone to church for 15 years and you don't have a clue? That to me is that's just wrong. I, I, I can't say it any other way. That is just wrong. Now, it's wrong that the church, let me make it very clear. It's definitely wrong that the church didn't bother to spend the necessary time to go and in, in, do an in-depth study of the chapters. But now, now I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, have to step on some toes this morning. Okay. And I, and I, and I know I don't like, well, I, I, I think it's my job sometimes to do this. I know it bothers people. And then, you know, I lose, I lose subscribers and people get mad, but I'm going to have to step on your toes. I'm going to have to really just kind of say, let's stop looking at the church and let's look at you as an individual. If you've been going to church and you've heard messages from Isaiah 7 and you've heard messages from Isaiah 9 and you yourself did not bother to ever look at the context and start trying to work on it and figure it out. You can blame everyone around you, but you've owned a Bible. You've owned a Bible. And when you when you hear a verse quoted, you should always look around at, at the context and go, wait, what is going on? You should have been asking the questions. You should have been the one calling your pastor going, hey, I think we need to do an in-depth study of Isaiah 7. I think we need to do an in-depth study of Isaiah 8 because there's a lot here I don't understand. I don't even know what's going on. Now, 
If your pastor's like, well, no, can't do that. Okay, now that that's a problem. But you should be taking it upon yourself to to be studying. You own you own a Bible. You have access to so many study tools. Take advantage of them and take the responsibility upon yourself. And of course, if you know about this podcast, you know you can email me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com and say, I don't understand this. And you can almost be guaranteed. It may, it, there's going to be times it will not happen, but all, but probably 90% of the time, if you email me something like that, within 24 hours, I'm sitting here in this empty sanctuary, sitting in front of this microphone, trying to address your questions, trying to answer them. It may not be the best answer, but I will definitely get us working on it. Or I'll just bring it to everyone who listens to this podcast and go, okay, guys, here's the question. Let's, let's do a Bible study exercise and let's all work on this together. Um, I, I will definitely do my part, but, but every Christian has a responsibility. You own a Bible. You're called to read it. You're called to study it. So if there's things in it, you're like, well, I just don't understand it. Okay, why not? Well, I haven't really bothered to to look into it. Why? Okay, wait a minute. It's God's word and you didn't bother to look into it. So I, on one hand, it bothers me that the church doesn't do its job. But on the other hand, it bothers me that Christians don't seem too invested, interested, or care if they don't understand certain parts of God's word. And I think that's why they go to the churches they go to, because if they actually cared, they wouldn't be able to tolerate the preaching that doesn't actually address these issues, that doesn't actually dig into the text. They would sit there going, no, 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 pastor, pastor, wait, 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 who, wait, that's Ahaz, that's the king of Syria, that's the king of Israel. Okay, wait, so what's going on? Okay, what happens here? Okay, wait, wait, that's Isaiah's son. Okay, wait, his name means, okay, wait. Who's this? You would be asking question after question. And if you're, if the pastor never bothers to really dig into those kinds of things from the pulpit, you would think then you would go find a church that does. But I have seen over and over and over that many are, are, are very content just to get that nice little three-point sermon. Sounds great. It sounds biblical. It's not that they're saying anything necessarily wrong. It's just they won't ever cover what actually needs to be covered. They won't really go in depth, but everyone gets the feeling that we did some in-depth study. And so then everyone feels good about themselves. They get out around noon and they can get to the buffet before everybody else and everybody's happy and everybody's wonderful and everybody pats themselves on the back that we're really doing church when all we're really doing is just playing a few games. I know that's very critical and I sound very cynical, but yeah, I mean, you just you just look at the lack of biblical understanding and uh, the body of Christ today, where, who gets the blame? And Isaiah 7, 8, and 9 are great chapters to demonstrate that. Just, I mean, you know, you you look, if you're on social media, if you have lots of friends who claim to be Christians, get them involved in a conversation about Isaiah, 8 and, Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, and the next week or so, because it's, you know, a perfect time to discuss it and just see how much they really know about the chapters. Now, maybe you can report back to me and go, oh, no, man, they knew, they knew who every, they knew all the major uh, people in each chapter. They understood the time. They, they understood it all. And you know, then, okay, that, that's awesome. I mean, then ask them where they learned it. Well, oh, I didn't learn it in church. I did this on my own. Okay. Why didn't your church do it? But just talk about it because I would really like to get, because my perception could be wrong. I'm more than willing to admit that my perception could be wrong. And I know I'm always accused of being too cynical and too critical of the church and that you're too mean and you're too judgmental, but I can base it off my own church experience. And I've been a part of Christianity for a very long time. And and I just I, I just went to church with too many people who wouldn't have a clue what to do with Isaiah seven eight nine and I don't think I've ever heard any in in depth in depth in depth teaching that really struggled and asked all of the questions. So that's why we do the Bible study exercises to try to fix that. But it is frustrating to realize that is what is going on. I know I just started turning into preaching, but okay. I said we had a lot to do and we didn't have time to talk about anything else. And then look what I start doing. All right, here's what we're doing. So yesterday was listening to a Greek Orthodox talk about Isaiah 9. Now we're just going to go to a random evangelical Protestant church talking about Isaiah 9. Once again, I took the Edify Christian Podcast app. I typed in Isaiah 9. I hit episodes 
and I found one. I don't even know where this church is located. I don't even remember the name of it. It's called Season of Grace, Isaiah 9. Once again, the title, the description did not tell me, are they covering the whole chapter? Are they covering a couple of verses? They didn't really give us any information, but I got the audio and we're going to just jump in. And again, we're going to review, critique, and then hopefully be transformative that this turns into something obviously far more than just listening to this sermon. It turns into our own interesting discussion. If you are listening live, please feel free right there using the Spreaker app, hit the little chat icon. You can offer your observations as we're listening to the sermon. You may hear something that I don't hear. You may hear something that I that I may miss. So please jump in and offer your thoughts at any time. And of course, you can always email me later, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And you can say, hey, you missed this or what about this? And uh, there you go. Or you may, you may hear something and have a completely different perspective. So I like to hear that as well. But are you ready? Isaiah 9, we need to understand it. We've been working on it all week. We've had some great conversations with those who are participating in the Bible study. Uh, I know some people have been using the curriculum as well. I hopefully it's been, I hope, I hope at the end of each week, I truly hope. Now, sometimes you guys tell me, some guys, sometimes you don't, but I hope at the end of every week of Bible study here on the Bible study exercises, I truly hope that at the end of the week, you can always say, wow, I understand that chapter better than I did before we started, or that passage of scripture, or that topic, or whatever we're studying. I I hope we at least accomplish that. I know I put in a lot of work and a lot of time, and I'm I'm hoping that you're benefiting from it. But are you ready? Here we go. Seasons of Grace, Isaiah 9. (laughs) Just, I'm just, immediately when I hear the title, I'm like, okay, Seasons of Grace, okay. I think I know where there's going, but there's All right, there's a lot in Isaiah 9, okay? All right, but here we go. Let's jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, we we come before you in this season of Advent, in the season of Christmas, the season of grace. I, I pray that as we reflect on you and your goodness, Lord, would you just be in this place, in our hearts, speaking to us, convicting us of the things that we need to be convicted of. Father, we come today just asking for your insight into our lives, insight into how we should live and and how we should act. Uh, Father, we we love you. Keep our eyes fixated on Christ and the cross. We love you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I I really do love Christmas, and I think that's why... um, Having a Christmas series every year is one of my favorite things. Uh, for me, I, I kind of prep myself uh, for Christmas because Christmas Christmas isn't just one day for me. I, I, I like to kind of celebrate the whole the whole season. I've probably mentioned this before uh, in church and uh, in Christmas series before, but uh, what I like to do is I like to you know drink a lot of hot chocolate. I like to uh, kind of get by the fire and, and and make sure that you get nice and toasty. Uh, I like to watch a lot of Christmas movies. Um, Okay, now, just I like to break down preaching because I, you know, as someone who preaches and as someone who listens to lots of sermons, I do, I always find it, I have to kind of laugh or chuckle to myself when I see preachers kind of following the template. Now, let me make it very clear. I am not criticizing the template. Obviously, it works because people who follow the template typically have bigger churches than those of us who don't. I don't like the template. I don't follow the template. So what do I mean by the template? Well, this is where you're supposed to begin your sermon and you're offering, you're kind of breaking the ice and you're trying to be relatable, right? Oh, I love Christmas and I love, you know, Christmas movies and hot chocolate. Saying things that obviously, and I'm not saying that what he's saying is not true, but you bring these things out to make it very relatable and people, oh yeah, I love Christmas too. And so now you're, you're getting people's attention and you're drawing in where I have a tendency to say, okay, everyone, open up your Bibles, Isaiah chapter nine, let's dig in. And I just, just, I, I kind of just blow past the nice little illustration, being relatable and telling little stories. I usually don't do that. Now there have been times where I feel like, okay, I, 
I, I can pull in something like that. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, I always find it like, okay, here we go. We're going to, we're going to, if you've ever, if you've ever seen a leader's guide for a small group, they always have a, a like it's five minutes or 10 minutes usually dedicated to breaking the ice, right? And you'll be like, it's Christmas time. Tell, tell everyone in the group your, your favorite Christmas traditions or your favorite Christmas activities. Ooh, I like to watch Hallmark movies. Ooh, I like hot chocolate. And so then everyone spends about 10 minutes and it gets everyone talking and discussing. It's, it's just, and so he's just in a sense using the same thing, but instead of asking everyone, he's naming things that obviously there's a high probability. There's a lots of people in the church who can say, oh, I relate to those things. I love Christmas too. I love Christmas movies as well. I love hot chocolate. I love, you know, to cozy up next to a fire and, you know, and I like Christmas lights. And of course, and everybody's like, oh, I relate too. So nothing wrong with it. Now, the key is, if you're, if you're, now this is very important. If you're so busy following the template so that, now listen to what I'm about to say, so that you produce a sermon versus actually digging in and engaging the text, then I hate the template. If the template is there simply to produce a sermon, I've said it so many times, Many pastors are worried about producing a sermon, not actually digging into the text. And a sermon, and, and I know you're going to disagree with this, but I think in many cases, a sermon is nothing more than a production. It's a speech that follows basic rules. Make sure you have good eye contact here. Look to the left, look to the right. Make sure you do this. Make sure you add inflection in your voice. You have all of these like little rules you're supposed to follow, right? A good introduction. Then you've got the body. Make sure you have a powerful conclusion. Make sure it's practical. Make sure it's applicable. Okay. Don't, don't, don't get, don't get really bogged down into, into overcomplicated things, you know, and, and you just have all of these rules. Well, in many cases, yes, you've produced a sermon. But when you're done, the people don't have any more actual understanding of all of the issues in the text than they did when they arrived. You didn't deal with the issues in the text. You didn't deal with the problems in the text. You didn't even deal with all the difficult questions that should arise from anyone reading the text. Everyone loves it. It's, it makes everyone feel wonderful, but it's like, well, wait a minute. Did we actually learn anything? So the question is, is he going to so, is this, template going to get in the way and an in-depth study of Isaiah 9. Maybe it will. Maybe it will not. We'll wait and see. But when I hear that, I just have to chuckle because I'm like, oh, here we go. Here's the template. All right. So, so let's continue. The kind of best for me are Elf. I love watching Elf. Home Alone and Die Hard. Just like kind of watching those, uh, you got to get in the mood for Christmas and you get in the mood for, um, just the festivities. I remember growing up, uh, Christmas for my best friend uh, in California. They they literally had so many Christmas decorations that they had to buy a storage unit to to hold all of their decorations. And so they would go and, and they would bring me and we would go to the storage unit and we would load it into a U-Haul and they would take it to their house and they would deck their house. There was Their house was one of those houses that they had like Santa on the roof. They had little elves in the lawn. They had all these different things. And so Christmas was always at time that was just so much fun. And so kind of the older I've become the less of that magic, that Christmas magic comes around. And so it's, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, Christmas now becomes a very expensive holiday. You have to buy everyone gifts. And so that, that joy, that magic just kind of goes away because you're like, oh man, this is going to cost so much. But there is a still um, a joy that does come because when everyone gathers for Christmas and, and we have time together just to eat a lot of, a, a lot of good food, uh, a lot of that Thanksgiving food that, that we want to do all, all over again with the turkey and all the hams and all that, that good dessert and all that stuff. So like gathering together as a family and just kind of going around and gathering on the Christmas tree, opening up presents. And, and there is that joy. And, and now having kids where I see my kids opening up the presents and, and them opening up and being so excited because they have so many more toys. Uh, there is still that magic. But I think a lot of it now is, is because Christmas and New Year's are, are so close together, Christmas is a time where I, I look back at the past, I look back at the year, and whether it was a hard year or it was a great year, it's just looking back and, and, and kind of 
solidifying those memories and solidifying those experiences and in that week from Christmas to New Year's is looking forward to what next year has to offer. And whether your year was terrible, whether your year was good, New Year's and and entering into New Year's is that joy of having hope that next year would be even better. And I think that's kind of how I am this year, is looking back at, at um, 2019 and as we're entering in 2020, as we're entering into the, the 20s, and it's, it's kind of weird that, that we're, we're done with this decade, it is looking forward with hope. You know, what will 2020 bring? What will this next decade bring? And, and a lot of that just comes with a lot of speculation, a lot of expectations, and, and who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But I think even um, entering into that New Year season of hope and expectation, uh, with the joy of Christmas, with the joy of being around family and loved ones and surrounded by presents and, and trees and, and mistletoe and all those different things going on, hopefully it puts you in the right frame of mind that next year will be positive, that we're not looking at next year and being like, it's going to be terrible, it's going to be gloomy. Hopefully none of you um, are a Scrooge, and, and hopefully a lot of you in your family. If only they knew what was coming in 2020. If only they knew what was coming. Hey, don't be negative. Don't be a Scrooge. You know, you need to be positive. Well, that positive, my positivity did not help 2020. All right. So this is all about, hey, I mean, he's thrown out everything you can throw out about Christmas from the movie Elf to the movie Die Hard to Christmas decorations to kids opening presents to Christmas magic. He's thrown out everything he can throw out to be relatable to someone sitting in the pews. All right. So that's 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 a common technique. Now, here's what we're here's what we have to watch and see after he's done building all of this relatability and breaking the ice. How is he going to use that to transition into Isaiah chapter 9? I think where he's going to go is, see, we look forward, we look back, we have hope, and that this is a message of hope to to someone. It's it's still, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I I would say that, and there are a lot of, Bad things going on in here as well. I, I don't know. I don't know. Let, uh, let's just see. I, I'm hoping he at least offers some context here to Isaiah 9. All right, here we go. ...can have that positive outlook on next year. But I, today I'm, I'm going to talk about um, a prophecy that the prophet Isaiah brought on the people of Israel. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. And I need to frame it to you what this prophecy is all about. And, and, and I guess the way you put it is, is, is Israel, the nation of Israel has had a terrible year. And not just a terrible year, they've had a terrible decade. And not just a terrible decade, but a terrible couple of decades because uh, the nation of Israel has, has had these terrible kings and not only had these terrible kings, but they are constantly being, being invaded and being placed into exile. And so uh, first they're in exile by the Assyrians, by the Persians, and then they're in exile by the Babylonians. And so all of these things are going on, and so they're just having a bad, a bad century. And, and, and the nation of Israel doesn't really have anything to look forward to, because right now they're under the rule of King Ahaz. And, and the way that Isaiah ex- describes the... Okay, now... Just so that we make sure we're, we're, we understand one another. Okay. Ahaz is over Judah, right? I mean, I mean, like he's saying Israel, does he not need to draw? I'm just throwing this out there for everyone. Bible study exercise. Remember, I do some of the teaching. Sometimes I leave it for you. Do you think it's critical? I'm just going to throw this question out there. Do you think it's critical for a preacher, for a Sunday school teacher? For a Christian studying the Bible, do you think it's critical in Isaiah 7, 8, and 9 to clearly distinguish between Judah and Israel, between the southern and northern kingdom? Do you think that is critical in understanding this? Or do you just group them all together and say Israel? Right? In fact, I'm, I'm just going to look something up really quick. I'm going to grab just to see, just to see. Um, I'm going to look here just to see. 
because th this is like basic. This is just something basic any any Christian can do. I'm just going to look up in a Bible dictionary. Ahaz. Uh, Ahaz. Uh, let's see here. Um, okay, a son of Jotham and the eleventh king of Judah. That's a Bible dictionary. I just look up Ahaz, the king of Judah, where he just identified him as the king of Israel. Now, should he should he draw any distinction here? Is it important, right? I mean, what is more important? Doing the whole, hey, I love Christmas and you love Christmas and we all love Christmas. And because it's Christmas, we're going to talk about a prophecy and I'm going to not be clear and who Ahaz was the king of. Should he, should he spend more time making a distinction here about Ahaz over Judah and the speaking of the divided kingdom? Because I will argue, and, and, I, and you may disagree with me, I don't believe you can understand the Old Testament in any meaningful way unless you understand the division of the kingdom. When you get into the prophets, you always have to ask, okay, did, who did that prophet go to prophesy to? To the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom? I think you almost always have to draw that distinction. So I, I just find it interesting that he did that. I'm going to back this up. Going to back it up. I don't know how far here. We'll go. We'll go pretty far back just because I want us to hear that all again. Here we go. Has, has had these terrible kings and not only had these terrible kings, but they are constantly being, being invaded and being placed into exile and so uh, first they're in exile by the Assyrians, by the Persians, and then they're in exile by the Babylonians. And so all of these things are going on. And so they're just having a bad, a bad century. And, and, and the nation of Israel doesn't really have anything to look forward to because right now they're. Now, wait a minute. Has he, is he saying that Israel's already in Babylonian? Is he saying Israel is Okay. Judah goes into Babylonian captivity. Israel goes into the, uh, with the Assyrians and they never really come back. So is he saying this prophecy is happening after? I am so confused. He's just, he's mingling all of these things. He's just mingling. It just, it's just, I don't, don't you have to draw some distinction here? Rightly dividing the word of truth. If there's ever a time that's applicable, this is where we have to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, listen. I want to make it very clear. I don't like to be super critical in this sense. I am a preacher. I have made a bazillion mistakes behind the pulpit. And you've heard me make a bazillion mistakes right here uh, speaking into this microphone. So I'm, I'm, I understand that you can make mistakes, but this just seems like and uh, not even a desire to even try. Like This is where I'm just going to try to make it simple, but you don't try to make it simple. You got to make it you got to be real with, with all of the names and, and the divisions. You have to, or you don't benefit anyone. I'm going to back this back again because it just sounds like, wait a minute. So Israel is already, Israel did not go into Babylonian captivity. Judah did. And so if Judah is not in the Babylon. Is it, are, where, where are you placing this in the timeline? Where, where, where are you placing this situation in, in the timeline? Like, okay, I, 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 I'm a little bit confused here. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna back this up again. All right, here we go. We're gonna back this up some more. All right, I know I know we're, we're I'm gonna just I'm just gonna spend a lot of time just even if we don't get any further. This just shows you how some churches handle scriptures. All right, here we go. And in that week from Christmas to New Year's is looking forward to what next year has to offer. And whether your year was terrible, whether your year was good, New Year's and, and entering into New Year's is that joy of having hope that next year would be even better. And I think that's kind of how I am this year, is looking back at, at um, 2019 and as we're entering in 2020, as we're entering into the, the 20s, and it's, it's kind of weird that, that we're, we're done with this decade, it is looking forward with hope. You know, what will 2020 bring? What will this next decade bring? And, and a lot of that just comes with 
a lot of speculation, a lot of expectations, and, and who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But I think even um, entering into that New Year season of hope and expectation, uh, with the joy of Christmas, with the joy of being around family and loved ones and surrounded by presents and, and trees and, and mistletoe and all those different things going on, hopefully it puts you in the right frame of mind that next year will be positive. That we're not looking at next year and being like, it's going to be terrible, it's going to be gloomy. Hopefully none of you um, are a Scrooge and, and a hope. Hopefully a lot of you in your families can have that positive outlook on next year. But I, today I'm, I'm going to talk about um, a prophecy that the prophet Isaiah brought on the people of Israel. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. And I, I need to frame it to you what this prophecy is all about. And, and, and I guess the way you put it is, is, is Israel, the nation of Israel has had a terrible year. And not just a terrible year, they've had a terrible decade. And not just a terrible decade, but a terrible couple of decades because uh, the nation of Israel has, has had these terrible kings. And not only had these terrible kings, but they are constantly being, being invaded and being placed into exile. And so uh, first they're in exile by the Assyrians, by the Persians, and then they're in exile by the Babylonians. And so all of these things are going on. And so they're just having a bad, a bad century. And, and so a couple of things, just again, I just got to stress this. Israel, once, the, once they're taken by the Assyrians, Israel never comes back as a group from the Assyrian captivity. Judah goes into Babylonian captivity for 70 years and returns from that. So where is he placing this prophecy in that timeline? Where? Because he just, all he's mentioning is Israel. He's not even mentioning the divided kingdom. He's not even mentioning Judah. I don't understand. Okay, let's continue. And, and the nation of Israel doesn't really have anything to look forward to because right now they're under the rule of King Ahaz. And, and the way that Isaiah ex- describes the rule of King Ahaz is that it's very dark. It's very bleak. He explains King Ahaz is an evil king, and because he's an evil king, the nation of Israel is kind of under this overarching moral darkness, that the rulers and the leader of the time is morally corrupt, and he's not close and in tune with God, and therefore... I mean, <laughs> this is so frustrating. To re- let me just read, let me just read, <laughs> let me just read. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. How do you, how do you jump into Isaiah 9 and you just obliterate all of those distinctions, and you're like, Ahaz is over the king of, he's the king of Israel. No, the king of Israel is coming after Ahaz. What, what is happening here? What is happening in churches? And I guarantee you, he, he has got a church far bigger than I will ever be a pastor of. He is probably more popular than I will ever be. He probably has far more reach, probably more effective, probably a better communicator than I will ever be. But for crying out loud, can we at least get the basic facts of the text? I mean, do, do Christians even care if the basic facts are correct? I mean, this, this is a real question. Does anyone even really care? I mean, I, I sometimes I've, I've really contemplated that it doesn't really matter what I do in the poll. I, I know that this is, that this is going to take a dark turn, but there are times I, that after all of the years of being a pastor, I've kind of come to the point I could say anything, right? Look, just make it sound nice. Give us three points. Don't say anything controversial. Don't offend anybody. And as long as you mention Jesus a couple of times, say a couple of nice little spiritual things, communicate in a correct way. Don't raise your voice. Don't do anything. Make everyone happy. Everyone, and then everyone will just play along and everyone will like, ooh, we went to church. We had a nice little sermon. Nobody knows anything. Nobody understands anything because no one really cares. Because no one really cares. Now, when I say that, obviously, I know there are exceptions. I know that there are people who do care. 
But I'm saying the fact is that this kind of thing happens in large churches means a lot of people don't care. And I know what I'm going to get, but they don't know any better. They own a Bible, so they should know better. Okay. At some point, Christians have got to stop making excuses. I, you own a Bible. You can read Isaiah 7, 1 and go, wait a minute. There's, there's the king of Syria. There's the king of Israel. There's the king of Judah. So there's three distinctions. Now, why is there a king of Israel and why is there a king of Judah? If you don't know, you can probably take a few minutes and figure out, oh, the kingdom splits. Ten tribes go one direction, two tribes go the other direction. One's the southern kingdom, one's the northern kingdom. You should be able to figure, those are basic things. Now, I, I, I remember when I first started learning about that, I didn't realize the significance of it. And then I started realizing, wait a minute. The entire Old Testament, if I'm going to understand anything in the Old Testament, from, from the point of that split moving forward, I have to know and keep that straight. Is it get confusing sometimes? Like, wait a minute, what king, wait, that king's the king of, okay, wait. That prophet went to the northern, northern kingdom or southern kingdom. Okay. And sometimes you have to verify some of those things. Yes, it can be a very confusing, but do you want to understand it or do you just want to s- obliterate the distinction to make it simple? All right, so yeah, this this is very becoming very frustrating. Here we go. Four, there's this shroud of darkness that comes over them. <clears throat> and so Isaiah gives this Christmas message. And again, it's 500 years before the birth of Christ. But he gives this Christmas message to bring hope to these people. 500 years? Okay, now I'm even trying to figure out the timeline because when we were looking at our timeline, weren't we in the 700s? Is he he saying that that Isaiah 9, that this prophecy comes in the 500s? So there's a basically a 200-year gap between 7 and 9 that it's it's been 200 years? How would that even work? 500 years. We're, we're in the 700s, aren't we? Okay, I, I, I'm i getting, yeah, okay, th- okay, good. Someone else, someone else is as perplexed as I am. I don't even, like, it has to be the 700s. If Isaiah is given the prophecy in the 700s and Isaiah 7, he didn't live for 200. How old was Isaiah when he died? Does anybody know immediately how old was, did Isaiah live to be 200 years old? I like, Oh boy, this is, this is not good. This is not good. This is not good. This is not good. And this is a, this is a larger church with multiple campuses. So this is not some little small church in the middle of nowhere like me. Uh, This, this is bad. This is really, this is, this is becoming disheartening by the second. All right, let's continue because we could get bogged down here and, uh, Yeah, I want to. I want to finish this, and I'm getting notifications all over the place from all kinds of different sources. I got people on YouTube wanting me to give them a link, and I can't send them a link right now because I'm live on the air. All right, here we go. People that are living under this evil regime, that are living under this oppressive government, this morally bankrupt government, and he's bringing this message of hope. And so, in Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, uh, we'll start from them. It says. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And this darkness is what I've talked to you about under the, under the rule of King Ahaz. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as the fuel for fire. For to us, a child, a child is born. Now, he he read two, three, four, and five, and he doesn't even explain what in the world is going on. All right. What people walked in darkness, right? 
Northern, Southern Kingdom? Who is he referring to? He, he skipped verse one. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be as such as that as was in her vexation, when at first the light afflicted the land of Zebulun, Zebulun, and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. He doesn't identify anyone, anything. Not only that, he doesn't even identify when it talks about the yoke of, of his burden being, and the staff being basically broken and the oppressor being broken and that all, basically all of these uh, garments and things related to war are all going to be burned up. It seems to be like the oppressor is going to be removed. There's not going to be any more war. Okay, well, what is that referring to? Is that a prophecy of the first advent or is that a prophecy of the second advent? Maybe a millennial kingdom. Like he doesn't even address any of these issues. He, he I, I guess what he is saying is that this prophecy is to Israel, who is supposedly ruled by King Ahaz in the 500s. Okay. Okay. This, whoa, man, there is some serious issues going on here. Like the, the people in this church, are, they're going to walk out really confused about this. See why I said you need to ask your Christian friends some basic questions about Isaiah 8 and 9? Because a lot of them go to churches like we are listening to. And I'm not trying to be mean, but I mean, come on. This is some, this is some really like elementary stuff. And I hope now people see why I do the Bible study exercise the way I do that. I do them. We walk through it. We ask questions. We, we study these things so that when we're done, look, you may say, well, you could have taught that a whole lot better. You could have been far more organized, but by working through it the way we do, hopefully when we're done, you're never going to forget. No, it's Ahaz. No, it's Syria. No, it, it's Assyria. It's it's the 700s. No, this is, okay, that's who this is. Now, there's still going to be a list of things we don't know, but hopefully we know so much that if you're ever sitting in a church like this, you can just go, you can be looking, you'll be looking around going, am I the only one? And then afterwards, in private, in a respectful way, you can say, uh, I'm a little confused by your 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 message, Pastor. Um, Ahaz was the king of Judah, right? And this was the 700s, right? Not the 500s. Like, could you explain and, just, and try to try to be in a respectful way? And you want to be you know, and you want to do that not. And listen, this is very important not to be rude, not to be condemning, not to be a jerk. And you've got to hear what I'm about to say here. Many pastors know that they it doesn't really matter what they say. As long as they put together a nice little performance, everyone is happy. When all of a sudden they are confronted that there's someone sitting in that pew who actually cares, who's actually studying, who actually will ask those questions, it is amazing how many times that will motivate that pastor to become a better student. Now, if you do so in a very like hostile, condemning way, then of course, especially men, because men, we have fragile egos, will get defensive. And then then that doesn't benefit you. But if you can do it in a very nice, loving, kind of encouraging way, just in a way you're just kind of saying, hey, I'm paying attention. It's amazing how all of a sudden the next time they show up a little bit more prepared, in many cases, even more energized and excited because they know there's someone actually out there paying attention who actually wants to learn. Because after a little bit of time, I know from the, sitting in the pew, you don't understand this perspective, but standing behind the pulpit, you can, you, there's, a, there's a time you can almost say, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares what I say? Nobody's paying any attention. Nobody cares. And so you become, you just, I hate to say it, you start phoning it in. And you don't do the work necessary. Now, I think that's dangerous when pastors reach that point. But pastors are human beings too. And you can become so like, I, I cannot speak for the pastor we're listening to, but I know how it is when you're in Bible college, you're in seminary, oh, you, you're imagining, man, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to church and all those people there cannot wait to study. They can't, they can't wait to read. And I'm gonna say, go to work on this. And everybody's gonna, and you just have this vision. And then you kind of realize, nah, that's not what, really, what people really want. They want some programs. They want a lot of activities. They want a nice little sermon, 
but they don't really want much of actual in-depth learning. And then you start realizing, what am I even doing? Just put together a little devotional, drop in a 20-minute message, and everyone will be more than happy. Give them a little bit more singing. Uh, make sure you work on your communication skills. Do a good performance, and everyone's happy. And and I think some pastors like this, if they'll just kind of be confronted, you'll be like just asking some basic questions, not not in an accusatory way, but asking questions like almost as if you don't know the answer. It will make that pastor, whoa, this person's asking those questions, and that motivates you. That motivates a pastor. So, um, one of my one of the things I always did from the time I was a teenager until the time I stopped being a pastor, or to, to the time I started being a pastor, is every Monday. I always tried, no matter what church I went to, every Monday, I would try to call my pastor and say, hey, so in the sermon, I had this question, and what about this? And oh, I thought this was really good, because I wanted to, to let them know, I'm listening. I'm paying attention. It matters to me. And I, I always tried to do that. And at least one of my pastors just talked about how encouraging that was and how important that was for them to know they were going to get that call on a Monday because that meant somebody was listening and somebody was paying attention. And that that's where it's not a confrontational way. It's that you're doing that and it's encouraging and you're letting them know, hey, I'm and, and, and because rarely does a pastor get a phone call thanking them for the sermon. No, when you get, when the, usually when a pastor gets a phone call, it's like, oh no, here comes a complaint. Here comes a complaint. Rarely do you get a phone call saying, now you may get some people when they're leaving church saying nice sermon, but that's almost like the the expected. When someone actually takes the time to contact you either by email, you can't even imagine. Like when I get emails from the people listening to this podcast, you can't, man, that's like, okay, do more, study more, work harder, because it's it's amazing what can be accomplished through encouragement. It's just, it's, it's just amazing thing. This pastor clearly needs some encouragement. Right, more maybe maybe from uh, uh, maybe from he may, probably needs some godly men to go. Oh man, you got to get your sermons to, a little bit better together. But a little bit of encouragement can also accomplish getting his sermons maybe a little better. Because right now this thing is is got some major issues. Maybe he's going to correct everything, and maybe my criticism is is too strong. Let's let's wait and see. Here we go. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the, of the Lord of hosts will do this. A beautiful prophecy that Isaiah is giving to a people living in grim and in a bleak situation. And I imagine just being one of the people. Now, here's the question. Was this prophecy given to the people living in a grim situation or was this a prophecy that ultimately was to Judah and the house of David. And because Ahaz and they had refused, they basically refused the signs. They ignored the signs of Isaiah's name. They, re- they refused the, to his, the, the sign of his son's names. Ahaz himself refused to sign. Is this, hey, th- look, Judah, the house of David, you guys have refused. You're, you're, there's going to be the Assyrians. You're going to be suffering. But he- here's my ultimate promise because I kept my promise to the house of Judah. I made a promise about a king sitting on the throne of David. I, I made a promise and I'm going to keep that promise even though you have refused, even though you refused the, the nice calm waters of Shaloa. You, 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 you're going to get the Assyrians. You're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to suffer. It's going to be dark. There's going to be pain, but there, there's ultimately going to be a light. There's ultimately going to be a promise kept. And because God is faithful to his covenant and faithful to his promises. Is this a pro- prophecy for them? Because if it's a prophecy for them, well, according to this pastor, 500 years later, well, okay, well, they're all going to be dead. 
If our timeline, I think, is far more accurate, 700, 700 years later, well, they're clearly going to all be dead. So how do we understand? Is this a prophecy for them or is this a prophecy for the house of David? And I think this is, I think this is very important and why you have to look at all of this in its broader context, all right? Because I, I just, yeah, I just, I, I think that's the only way to understand this. I, I think that's the only way to understand this, so. All right, let, let's continue. I, I was going to go back and start working through Isaiah 7 again because now I'm all fired up because <laughs> I'm like, what in the world is going on here? Well, let's see. Clearly, I think what we're getting ready to see is he's just going to ignore everything at this point and just now focus on the names and, and or the titles. And, and that's what he's going to focus on and just ignore all of these basic questions that any good bio, any, any person sitting in church, you'll be like, well, wait a minute. How is this prophecy to them? <laughs> What does this have to do with them? I, I think any any good Bible study, anyone reading should be asking these questions. Listening to the prophet, prophet Isaiah talk about this Messiah, this Savior, the one who is going to be a righteous king, a good, a good ruler over the nation of Israel, that all of the bloodshed that has happened in the past, that this is going to be the prince of peace, that this new ruler is going to be called mighty God, everlasting father, wonderful counselor, that these names are given to this ruler, but more importantly to this child. Not by human people are, are not, not by human giving is, are these names given, but it's by God. God is the one who is calling this child, this son that is given to the people, that God has named him these things. And it's beautiful because Isaiah is giving hope. He's giving hope unto the nation of Israel. And it's this hope that kind of goes throughout even the, the rest of the prophets. But the, I, Isaiah is giving these people who are being overtaken and overrun by these various empires and countries, by these bad kings, these bad and evil rulers that are bringing them to demise and to failure. Isaiah is giving them this message of hope, this message of Christmas. That a child will be born. A son will be given. And even that is very significant. Because he's already explaining. He's already prophesying. God's plan of redemption is already being laid in the groundworks of the Old Testament. It's really important that we understand when Isaiah says a child is born, a son is given. He is already telling us what the Messiah is going to look like. When we think of the Savior of the world, the Savior of the people of God, God could have easily, God could have easily made it so that Jesus came down in a chariot of fire. That Jesus would come down wearing a crown of gold, having a sword in his hand and a scepter in the other, coming down in a flaming chariot, well, you know, driven by, you know, flying, flying horses and, and just coming down and landing in Jerusalem and saying, I'm the king. I am the one that they, as, that you're going to call the prince of peace. I'm the one you're going to call mighty God. I'm the one who's the wonderful counselor. I am the everlasting father. And Jesus could have been very easily the one who comes down on this chariot of fire, driven by these flying horses with a crown on his head and a sword in his hand and a staff, a royal staff and a, and a garment of gold and purple and just dressed in, in beautiful colors, royalty, to be the king. But Isaiah is already beginning to prophesy the way and manner in which Jesus is going to come into this world, not like that, but he's going to come as a child. He's going to come as a baby. And he's a son. And again, I, I can imagine the people hearing this prophecy about this child that's going to be born, all of a sudden their expectations of the hope that is given, this message of hope, that they're already beginning to interpret it in the way that is going to go well with them. 
I mean, they're, they're hearing this message of, of a son that is born. And so they're probably already going around and being like, okay, so he's going to be born into royalty. So maybe King Ahaz and his wife are going to give bo- birth to a son. And this son that is born from King Ahaz or from any of the other kings, maybe this is the Messiah. And so imagine as the nation of Israel have all these kings and they're hearing this prophecy from Isaiah. Why does he keep saying the nation of Israel? I don't understand why he keeps putting Ahaz as the king of Israel. I just don't get what in the world is. I'm just so, I'm so confused here. I'm I'm so confused. Okay, I'm going to verify something. I'm, I'm just... Because he keeps saying Ahaz, so he keeps saying Ahaz. All right, so give me give me one second here. I'm gonna I, I have the I have the timeline written down somewhere else, so I didn't even think about looking this up right now. But I'm gonna do this. King Ahaz, okay. King Ahaz, okay. Even if you even if you just do a Google search, it's Ahaz, King of Judah. He was born in 763 BC and died in seven. 10 BC, his reign was from 732 to 716. So the fact that he keeps saying Ahaz should make it, should clearly make it known that it's the 700s. All right. There, there, there's pro, that, that, that just takes a Google search. Okay. It doesn't even take seminary. It doesn't even take a, it doesn't even take a study Bible. It just takes Google for crying out loud. Okay. And, uh, so that, oh man. So I just don't, I'm not, I don't understand why he keeps saying that. And he keeps saying Israel, 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 Judah, 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 Judah. Once Israel gets taken by the Assyrians, they know more for all practical purposes. That's why it's uh, it's absolutely astonishing when you read some, uh, like when you talk about the new covenant, the promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah, it's to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And you're like, wait, what? How is this even? So that gets into a lot of, again, theological questions, covenant theology, eschatology, a lot of issues. But I'm just like, can you just not make that basic distinction here? And so what, what, the people of Israel wouldn't have been running around going, I wonder if it's the son of Ahaz. <laughs> the people of Israel wouldn't have been asking that. They, what are you talking about? Okay. All right. I, I'm trying to give this person the opportunity to fix all of this. At some point, he's got to clean it up. He has to. Look, I've made a million mistakes. So maybe he's just making a mistake. Maybe he's going to realize it here in a second. Isaiah and all of these children are born from royalty, from the kings and queens. I can imagine that the that the kings, uh, the king's wise men, the king's uh, kind of scholars are probably saying, "This is the child that Isaiah was talking about, king." Okay, what just happened? Okay, that was And weird. this son that is born from King Ahaz or from any of the other kings, maybe this is the Messiah. And so imagine as the nation of Israel have all these kings and they're hearing this prophecy from Isaiah and all of these children are born from royalty, from the kings and queens. I can imagine that the, that the king's, uh, the king's wise men, the king's uh, kind of Okay, let's hope there's not a problem with the file. Let's hope it, because that was weird. It just stopped and went back to the beginning. So um, I, I've got it back to where it's supposed to be. If this file is messed up, I apologize. I don't, I've never had a file mess up like this. It shows that it's, uh, you know, got 25 minutes left. So let's, let's see here. Let's, let's continue. Scholars are probably saying, this is the child that Isaiah was talking about. King. Yeah, that's weird. It doesn't want to go. It doesn't want to go any further. Let's see if I can skip past that. Let's see if I can skip past that. Nope. That's uh, the file stops right there. Okay. <laughs> that's we're, we're, I, now I could say it's a divine sign. We've been spared. Okay. I, I really wanted to see if he was going to clean it up anymore. I, I, that's frustrating. Where we're going to run out of time anyway. Where we're going to run out of time anyway. So here's what we, we, we didn't really get anything other than an example of what I'm talking about. Here is a pastor who is referring to Ahaz as the king of Israel. He is referring to the people of Israel would think that it was a child born of Ahaz. <laughs> 
And then you have to ask, was it was Isaiah's message to the people of Judah or was Isaiah's message to the people of Israel? Who was Isaiah taking his message to? Like that, you could probably look up in a Bible dictionary and see. Now, we think that there are definitely segments where Isaiah seems to be speaking of Israel and there's segments where he's clearly seeming to be speaking to the people of Judah. But um, th- this, this sermon just is a, a good... Uh, I don't know why the file didn't work. It's just a very good example of what I'm always talking about of the what is happening in pulpits all across the United States of America. This is a a large church. Again, they have multiple campuses. I can't remember the state uh, that it's in. Um, But when I when I looked up their website and looked up everything, I was like, okay, wow. So this is a a, a pretty I I won't call it a mega church, but it's mega compared to what I have. And that's what's going on? Like what? I, I, I don't even, I don't even understand. So we're going to have to stop there. We didn't get as far as we want, but it's a good example um, of what happens. And I apologize that the file there is messed up. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a, an, a, an act of mercy. Maybe, maybe it's an act of grace. I don't know. But uh, there, there's just, he got the time period wrong. He's, he's a, a completely ignoring the division he didn't even bother in any way, shape, or form to even explain verses one through five. I don't even know why he read them. And he read them with such such passion, you know. Oh, and 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 you multiplied the nation and 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 their joy before the according to the joy in the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for thou hast broken the yoke. He read it with such passion, and it's like, okay. <laughs> What does it mean? <laughs> right? It's like, I'm going to read this with, you know, passion. Okay. It's, it's like, uh, sometimes there was a joke in, in, in seminary that's like, if you don't understand, just yell. If you don't understand, just yell and raise your voice and it will look like you, that it's really important. Okay. That, that's sometimes a joke you t- talked about. Well, there he read it with such zeal and such passion. Like those verses were so important. And then he just skipped them. And, and like, I'm not going to explain anything going on here. I'm not even going to attempt to figure this out. I'm not going to tell you who this is. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you the who, the what, the where, the when, and how. But look, 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 look. Look, everyone, look. For unto us a child is born. That's Jesus. So, so ignore everything else in the text. Jesus, Jesus. And I, I joke a lot. Uh, with the people in my church. And if you've listened to my sermons, you hear me make, make the joke. But I've said it so many times that, uh, all, that all you have to say whenever you ask a question is just say Jesus, because that's what everyone does in the church. And it's a, it's a foolish story, but it's a story that emphasizes this point. And it's, it's not a real story. It's made up. I don't even know the original source, but it's like this person was preaching and he asked a question. Um, and he said something like, uh, it's, uh, it's brown. It's kind of got a fluffy tail. It runs up trees. It stores nuts. Okay. What am I talking about? And a little girl said, well, I think you're talking about a squirrel, but we're in church. So I'll say Jesus, right? Well, that sounds foolish, but there's a little bit of truth to that. So, Hey, let's ignore everything. Jesus, just look, just look at Jesus. Jesus is in the text. Ignore everything else. And you don't ignore everything else in the text because Jesus is there. You you look at everything else in the text and say, how does Jesus relate to everything else going on in this text? And it's like, no, just look at Jesus. And we saw that with the uh, with the uh, Greek Orthodox. Just focus on 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 the names here. Let's ignore everything. I didn't even mention everything else. In fact, in some ways, that was better. Here he read verses. <laughs> One, two, three, or verses, he skipped one. Why you would skip one? Well, the only reason I can see as a preacher why you would skip one is because it mentions people like, wait, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. Who Who is the her here being referred to? Who, who is the her? And and who is Zebulun? And who is Naphtali? And who is the, the, uh, the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations? Like, like, Nothing. <laughs> like, I'm just going to ignore verse one like it doesn't exist. Then I'm going to read two, three, four, and five with great, 
zeal. And then I'm just going to say, but look, everyone, Jesus. And once, th- once he says Jesus, then every, then nobody care. Ever, the people in the church is like, well, I don't care about verses one through five because Jesus is in verse six. All I need to know is it's a prophecy about Jesus and everything is good to go. <laughs> what in the world was that? And why did the file mess up? I don't know. I have never seen this occur ever. It is weird. Yeah, it will. If, if I get past that point and I hit play, it just will not play. That is weird. I'll, uh, before I do anything else today, I'll make sure I test it and make sure we're not having an issue with the software. I've never seen that happen, but there we go. We couldn't have gone longer anyway. We were going to have to stop because we're already in an hour and four minutes. So I guess the lesson we learn here is there's a lot of that kind of preaching that is occurring right now in churches all across America. They're going to mention Isaiah 7. They're going to mention Isaiah 9. There'll be a lot of those candlelight services on Christmas Eve, and they'll read Isaiah 7. They'll read Isaiah 9. They may sing some songs that mention Isaiah 7. They may sing some songs that mention Isaiah 9. Everybody will say amen. A lot of people will send out Christmas cards that have Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 9. Everyone's going to be, oh, how beautiful, how wonderful. But it'll be another Christmas that comes, another Christmas that goes, and a large portion of the body of Christ will still not understand Isaiah 8, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8, and Isaiah 9. And the reality is, as many of those people could care less. We can't fix the fact that people don't care. We can fix ourselves about not caring. We can do what we can, and then we can hopefully challenge other people, not in a confrontational way, but hopefully in an encouraging way that maybe they should really consider all that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks in Isaiah 7, 8, and 9. And hopefully you've benefited greatly from it. All right. I wish we could have done more. I wish we could have heard the rest of that sermon. If I do find a way to find the rest of that file uh, and get it to work, then I may come back and do another uh, episode and just start back around the 14-minute mark and just see what happens. So if I can figure out what happened, I will definitely correct it and uh, see if we can improve this and make this work. All right. Well, I hope I hope so. Uh, Someone just said thank you. I I feel bad. I feel bad because – yeah, I, I, I wanted to I wanted to give this pastor an opportunity to maybe clarify himself, but um, I'm going to go check the file and see if we can figure it out. And if we can, I'll just I'll be back on the air. If I can't do that, we'll be back on the air. We've got a lot of things to talk about. So uh, we'll see what we can do this afternoon. All right. Or is it afternoon? It's still morning. I don't even know what time it is. Whatever time it is. We're going to make the most of the time that we have. All right. So thank you for listening. Everyone can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And I will try to get the link to whatever the person on YouTube is asking me for. I'll try to get that as well. I'll try to answer everyone as soon as I can. All right. Um, Okay. Okay. Hopefully that was discernment training. I, I hope so. I hope it wasn't too critical. All right. But well, I'm going to see if I can get the file to work because I definitely want to give this pastor an opportunity to fix this. All right. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back shortly. God bless.